How many of you would say, Gary, I have been regularly attending church for over 15 years? I have been regularly attending church for over 25 years. Four of you, five of you. I've been regularly attending church for 40 years. Awesome. Now, you know who the old people are in the church? I feel confident in saying, no matter how long you've been attending church, I'm about to say something you've probably never heard a preacher say. And that's this. There's some things you just don't need to pray about. Though preachers will get up at week after week after week and they'll talk about the power of prayer and make no mistake about it today, I believe there is power in prayer. They'll talk about the importance of prayer and I believe there is importance in prayer. They'll talk about the gift of prayer and make no mistake about it that the creator of the universe allows us to communicate directly with him. That's a gift in prayer. But the problem has become prayer for so many in so many instances has simply become a crutch to justify inactivity. We love to post picture quotes about prayer. We love to feel like we're making a difference as the world burns around us by telling people, oh, we're praying. Praying for Ukraine, that's the buzz right now. Prayers become this haphazard thing that we throw out. And while this book front to back talks over and over and over and over about prayer, For the next few weeks, we're going to talk about some different subjects that you need to stop praying about and start living out. I'm going to pray about it. Prayer has become a crutch to not take action. There's simply some things in the Word of God that you need to do because God has already told you to do them. If I tell my kids to go clean their room and they tell me they're going to think about it, that's going to be an issue. There's nothing to think about. I already told you what to do, and when you do not do it, you are now being disobedient. This book is full. Let me me make this clear to you. I I get that we're kind of a chilled, laid-back church, but uh, we believe we serve the God. And he's not a God of suggestions. He's a God of commands. Now, he's not a puppet master. 
He's not going to sit up there and pull the strings, and he's never going to force his will upon you. That's the awesome thing of free will. We have the ability to be obedient to what Christ tells us to do. And we have the ability to be disobedient to what Christ has told us to do. And I'm good to be honest with you either way. I'm not the type preacher who's going to get up and and beat you over the head to live a certain way. That's between you and God. If you choose to be obedient to the word of God, or if you choose to be disobedient to the word of God, I'm going to love you the same. My issue becomes when we choose to be disobedient to the word of God, but we wrap it in the gifting of spirituality. I'm praying about that. God already told you to do it. And then the Bible says this in James 4, 17. If anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin for them. People always ask me, what is your definition of sin? I think the Bible right here gives us a definition. When we know to do good and we do it not... It is sin. There are some things that are black and white when it comes to right or wrong. There are some things that might be a sin for you, but they're not a sin for me. If God lays on your heart to help somebody in need, and you don't do it, if anyone knows to do good and do it, it is sin for them. That might be sin for you. God might not have laid it on my heart to do that. When God tells us, how to respond, how to live, and gives us commands on what our mission, because make no mistake about it today, we are left here with a mission. We are left here with a purpose. God created you for a purpose, and God created you for a mission, and if he doesn't have a mission for you or he's complete with his purpose, then he takes us home. We're not here to take up space. We are not here to go through the motions. I don't know what your purpose is today. I don't know what your mission is today. That changes throughout time. There's times in life your purpose might be something, not that there's anything simple about this, but it might be just to raise warriors in a world full of non-warriors. Your mission and purpose might be to be a great husband and different times in life, there might be other missions and purposes you have in your life. God lays them on your heart and tells you to do them, and when you do them not, it is sin. Over the next month, we're going to look at some of these subjects. It's going to be fun. This is almost, in a lot of ways, a Back to the Basics series. It's a reminder series because it's the little things that we know we ought to do that we simply quit doing. It's very rare when I deal with someone who's going through marital problems, where at the root of their marital problems is a big issue. They might think it's a big issue. It might have grown into what they deem a big issue. But as you begin to go in reverse in that issue and get to the root of the issue, the root of the issue normally goes back to something small that you used to do that you no longer do. God told the church, he said, I have this against you. 
He said, I know your works. I know they're good. I heard about them, but I have something against you. You've quit doing what you used to do. Return to your first love. Get back to doing what you did in the beginning. But I'm praying about it, Gary. You don't need to pray about it. You don't got to be praying about honoring your wife. The Bible says a husband's to honor his wife. You don't got to pray about loving your husband. The Bible says you're to love your husband. You don't got to pray. People say, I'm praying about giving. The Bible tells you to give. By the way, that's the easiest subject to talk about during this series. And my promise to you is I'm not going to talk about it. I don't want you getting all upset. God forbid you get your feelings hurt. So many things the Bible says we're to do. The Bible says we're to love our enemies. You ain't got to pray about it. The Bible says do it. You might need to pray about having the strength to do it. Now, I like to take the Bible at face value. The Bible also says I'm to pray for my enemies. I often say the Bible doesn't say how I'm to pray for them. And I see in the Psalms where David prayed that God would slap, kill some folks. And I might be guilty every now and then of praying those type of prayers. But as I pray for God to kill them, it's amazing how God softens my heart. And over time, years and decades, pray that God lets them live. If anyone then knows to do good and does it not, it is sin. Then we're going to be talking about a subject that has become a little cliche to say we shouldn't talk about. Two things in life we teach our kids you don't talk about. You don't talk about politics. You don't talk about religion. My beliefs are my beliefs. They're personal. Hmm. The problem is that's so contrary to what the Word of God says we're to do. (laughs) Make no mistake about it. We didn't start Action Church because Canton needed another church. You can't throw a rock in this town without hitting a church. Every school's got a church in it. Every shopping center's got a church in it. Every corner's got a church in it. Sometimes I think there's more churches than there are people in this community. Canton didn't need another church where people could come as you are. Like there's any other way to come. We didn't. Start this church to have rocking worship. Guess what? You can go all over town and hear karaoke worship. I don't know if you can hear rocking worship. But in their mind, it's rocking worship. Wouldn't start this church to have an awesome place for your kids. Let me make this real clear to you. We didn't start this church because we had nothing better to do. I can think of a lot of things. I'd love to devote my time to. 
I'm always amazed the few times a year I take a Sunday off and I'm like, oh, this is what it's like? Not to work on Sunday? I think for the first time ever last year, I took a day off during the fall. I never knew there was an NFL pregame show. It's amazing. Laid in bed and watched people talk about football. We didn't start this church because we had nothing better to do. We created Action Church to create an environment where those who don't know Christ, oh, by the way, 99% of new churches that tell you this is why they started their church, but they don't live it out. We started this church where those who don't know Christ can come in. And it doesn't matter their social standing. It doesn't matter the color of their skin. It doesn't matter their sexual preference. It doesn't matter if they believe there's a God or doesn't believe there's a God. They can come here and realize that God loves them. You can take your traditions. You can take your images of what you think church ought to be. You can take your preconceived notions. God bless Granny, but Granny who raised you and had you in church every Sunday, you can take her ideologies and you can fold them up in a nice little ball, compact them as tight as it'll be where it doesn't hurt, and you can bend over and you can shove all those beliefs right Phil told me to be nice. Phil never tells me to be nice. That puts pressure on me. Phil said, I got some people here, man, be nice today. That puts pressure on me to be nice. So, so you can shove it right where the sun doesn't shine. How's that? That's nice. Oh, Jerry, you decided to wake up? Because you were sleeping 20 minutes ago. We want Action Church to be the church that makes it hard to get to hell from Canton, Georgia. Our motto around here ought to be hell? No. I made some church, some shirts recently, and I was surprised that it offended some of our crowd, which isn't normal. Made some shirts that said, kicking the devil's ass since 2010. I can't believe you wrote that. I can't believe you're offended by that. That's the mission of our church. And if you're more offended by the word ass and the fact that we decided from day one we're going to go all out, sold out against the enemy, then that's the problem. Because we believe there's a real enemy, we believe there's a battle between heaven and hell that is raging, and do not miss this, we believe according to this book that we have a responsibility To share our faith. The big, I think it's the biggest lie Satan has ever created in the church and made those of us that are Christ followers believe is my faith is personal. Funny, the football team you root for ain't personal. The NASCAR driver you root for ain't personal. Your favorite band ain't personal. Oh. Who you voted for ain't personal. (laughs) Lord God knows you'll let everybody know. But my, my faith is personal. The one thing that could have the ability to determine where someone spends eternity, and we want to keep it personal. We created this church to be a safe place. For us to share our faith. 
And here's what happens in the church. The church takes something like sharing your faith, which the Bible tells us to do. We'll break that down in a minute. And we take it in some way that is so contrary to the Word of God. We turn into these crazy people that are shoved. We either do nothing because it's personal or shoving it down people's throats in a way they want nothing to do with God. When I was in Bible college, we had to do this thing. It was called door-to-door soul winning. Let me tell you something. I'm the best door-to-door soul winner you ever met in your life. Give me my sales pitch. Give me my words to say. And it had nothing to do with leading people to Jesus. It had everything to do with getting people to say a quick prayer to get you off their porch where you could chalk up your numbers. And we got a country full of people who if you ask them whether or not they're Christians, they'll say yes, but they have no relationship with Jesus Christ because they simply pray to prayer. Someone asked me, they said, why don't you give an opportunity for people to pray? I, I challenge you, show me anywhere in this book where someone prayed a prayer and they got saved. What must I do to be saved? You must believe. You must believe. It's not complicated. <laughs> but it's our responsibility to share Jesus. And the greatest way to share Jesus is not door to door. It's not shoving it down someone's throat. It's not posting your little turn or burn picture quote on your Facebook page. The greatest thing you can do to advance the gospel of Jesus Christ, and it's so simple, and it's so biblical, is simply share your story. See, we need to understand there's a world out there and they need to hear your story. The one thing that you have that nobody else has is your story. All the muck and all the mire and all the highs and all the lows and all the joy and all the heartbreaks and all the things you did right and all the things you did wrong. It's your story. The one thing nobody can take from you is your story. And it seems intimidating, but it really isn't because we share our story all the time. The problem is we don't know how to biblically share our story. For some reason, when we think we're sharing our story to tell people about Christ, when we freeze up, we're going to pray about it. You don't need to pray about it. You just need to do it. So today we're going to get really, really practical. We're going to get so practical that I'm going to walk you step by step biblically on how to share your story. Because you and I have a responsibility to share our story. You don't need to pray about telling others about Jesus. You need to get busy telling other people about Jesus. (laughs) There's tons of people in the Bible that we could use to illustrate this. We're going to hang out with Paul today, though. I'm not going to give you a formula today. I've been in churches. Man, they've got the, hey, come take our evangelism explosion class. 
We're going to walk you step by step over 13 weeks on how to win someone to Jesus. Hey, if you die today, you're 100% sure you go to heaven, or would there be some doubt? That's how I was taught. Well, there'd be some, well, can I tell you how Jesus is? Let me tell you, there's a man named Jesus. He died. I could go on and on and on. I, I can get old school Baptist. I'm going to get old school Baptist. I'm going to share my story in a minute. I'm going to get old school Baptist on you. Like I even knew, John, you like this, you, John's in sales. He used, I used to even know the real slick on the front porch, stick the foot in the door. They didn't even know I did all of a sudden, foot in the door, can't shut the door on me. Hey, I asked, would you pray with me real quick? But I can do it. They'd be like, get this guy off my porch. I'd be like, I got another one. I was the man. I used to go to a church when I was in Bible college, and they ran buses and picked up kids everywhere. Church ran over 100 school buses picking up kids and bringing them to church. My bus had to run th- go out three different times every Sunday to bring all the kids in. Can't nobody sell Jesus like I can. My big move, John, you like this, kids like this. My big move was, if you pack out the bus, I'll swallow a goldfish. I don't know where I came up with that. That's the stupidest thing in the world. But these kids would go crazy if you swallow a goldfish. So we swallow a goldfish. I swallow three goldfish every Sunday to pack out that bus. Every route. <laughs> Whatever it took for Jesus. Swallowing fish in Jesus' name. And what a false faith we gave people. Instead of simply starting about it. For those of you who don't know who Paul is, Paul wrote the majority of the New Testament. He's what we refer to today as a church planner. He would go to different cities and start churches. Under the guidance of God, God would inspire him. He would write letters to the church, and that's most of what we call the New Testament. The thing I love about Paul is every city he went, he just shared his story. And what a story he had. He didn't stand on the corner and tell people to turn or burn. He didn't shove the Bible down their throat. He just said, here's my story. And I want you to know today you have a story to tell. And it might have been a story that you thought is a story of embarrassment. You might think it's a story of shame. It might be a story of regret. But it's a story that God says, I took you through all that mess where I could perfect your message for your story. What you've been through enables you to impact people with your story that I'll never be able to impact because I don't have that connection with them. You have that connection with them through your story, but it's amazing how many of us don't know our story. The way you tell others about Jesus is not getting on Facebook and arguing with them in the comments. It's not making every post about Jesus. It's simply when the opportunity arises, instead of praying about it, simply sharing your story. Sharing your story. So how do we do that, Gary? Well, first of all, we're going to start with our past. In order to talk about where you are today, God's got to, people got to know where God brought you from. See, what you see today, you haven't seen the pain and the scars and the heartbreak and the anger and the frustration and the screw-ups that got me here. 
About a year ago, someone wrote this big post about me, and all we're doing it was a, it was in a magazine, and they were like, "Many of you might not go, Gary. He he's almost an overnight success." And I was like, "Yeah, twenty years in the making," because I had to go through this to get to this, and I had to go through that to get to this, and I had to go because I'm stupid and do this two or three times. To get to this. Like, I'm not one of those guys, God can just say, hey, man, you tripped. Did you learn your lesson? God's like, you tripped. I'm going to kick you while you're on the ground. I'm going to beat you over the head. I'm going to hold your head underwater. That's probably not going to work. So then I'm going to come back and we're going to do it again three or four more times before it clicks. How many of you got multiple kids? You got that one kid, you tell them one thing and they just listen. And you got that, you got that other kid. And you got to say it over and over and over. How many of you got multiple dogs? So we got four dogs. Why? Who knows? Because we're stupid. Okay? And we got some smart dogs. But we just got this five year old English bulldog. He's awesome. And I say this as lovingly as possible. When I tell you he's the dumbest, living creature I've ever met in my life. He comprehends nothing. He just, like, he, he's just dumb as a... He's so dumb that you can't even get mad at him because you realize... I, I, I know this isn't politically correct in this woke society, but he's just retarded. Like, he's just a retard. Oh, I'm, has mental issues. I'm sorry. Slow. I'm sorry. What was, what's the proper? He's a retard. He's dumb. Like, I literally think he's, like, he's just dumb. Like, if you're going to the restroom, you want know, to like, come between, like, who wants to, like, how dumb do you got to be? I'm going to the restroom. You want to get between my, it's gross. Go. He's dumb. Like, he'll run into wall. Like, he just runs. He's just dumb. Like, I'm like that. I think God looks down at me and he's like, you're like my English bulldog. You're just stupid. I love you. And I love that dog. Do I not love that dog, Christine? I love, Christine's like, all the other dogs can get hair everywhere and you raise can't help care about that. I love that dog. I love him. I think that's how God looks at me sometimes. He's like, hey, boy. I know you're dumb. He's ran that wall 15 times. I love you. Come here. Let's come over. Come here. Come here, Gary. Okay, God. I'm just dumb. Like, I don't learn easy. So you got to start with your past. And trust me, Paul had a past. Paul had such a past that he actually had a different name. If you're ever reading the New Testament and you're reading about a guy named Saul, Saul was Paul. He becomes Paul. He was part of a group called the Sanhedrin, and he had a very specific job in the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin was the religious group of the day. Unlike our religious groups of the day, they were very judgmental. Oh, just like the religious groups of our day, they were very religious. They knew everything. They were great at telling others how to live and what rules to follow, even if they weren't always following them. 
To be part of the Sanhedrin, you had to be very smart. Paul was a brilliant man. He was trained by some of the greatest religious people of the day. And he was a wicked man. Paul's job was to go out and find those who believed in Christ and kill them. That was his job. To execute, track down and hunt those who claimed to be of the way, the way of Christ. He was responsible for the killing of Christians. I always like it when people walk in the doors of the church like, ha ha, the, the roof's getting caved in, I'm so bad. No, no, this joker killed Christians. We laugh at what you consider bad. We're not impressed. Trust me, we can one-up you in all your bad, bad things. Paul killed Christians, look what the Bible says in Acts 7. When they heard this, they were furious and gnashed their teeth in, but Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit... When the Sanhedrin, when the religious people heard them talking about Jesus, they were angry. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God, Jesus standing in the right hand of God. He said, look, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. And they covered their ears and yelling at the top of their voices, they all rushed him. They all rushed this guy named Stephen. And they dragged him out of the city and they began to stone him. They began to throw rocks. I remember we clarified what that meant last week. Threw rocks at him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their clothes So they beat Stephen. They've taken the remains. And what do you do? You go to the person in charge and you lay it at their feet. And they lay their feet at a young man named Saul. They're over there killing a man for his faith. And the guy standing off in the distance approving of it. And watching of it. Shaking his head in approval of it. And that was Paul. But at this time he was Saul. God radically changed his life, but he never forgot his past. He was a bloodthirsty person who was consumed with hatred towards those who called themselves Christians. What the Bible says about him in Acts chapter 9, Meanwhile, Saul was breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked, for letters to the synagogues of Damascus, so that he found any there that belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them. For... He went to the high priest and said, Give me approval to go track them down and kill them. It's not enough if I just stumble across them. I want to hunt them down. Paul was a wicked man. But as Paul would go into towns and begin to preach about Jesus, he always started right here in 1 Timothy. Throw that verse up, Xander, one fifteen. He said, here's a trustworthy saying that is... That deserves all acceptance. Christ Jesus came in the world to save sinners, of who I am the worst. <laughs> I love that connecting point right there. He said, I want to share my story with you, so let me share you what I used to be. King James says, he said, I was the chief among sinners. He said, I was the worst of the worst. There's nothing you've done that I haven't done. I was a vile man, a wicked man. You say, why is that so important? You've got to lay a groundwork of what you used to be before you can say what you are now. You can't appreciate the now without appreciating the then. I can't appreciate where my marriage is now without going back and thinking when it wasn't where it is now you got to go through the bad days to appreciate the good days. 
you got to go through the, show me a person who's never failed, and I'll show you a person who doesn't appreciate success. We have nothing to compare it to. Later on, he's going to say, let me show you what God's done in my life now. But first, he said, you need to see what I used to be. He said, I'm the worst of the worst. He's connecting. I never understood. I hear preachers get up and they say, they get up and they say, man, just forget your past. No. No. God's forgot your past as far as the east is from the west. Bless God, and you need to forget your past. No. You don't need to live in your past. You don't need to dwell in your past. You don't need to glorify your past. Hello? My pet peeve, man, I get invited to speakers' meetings all the time at AA because people that we know that are in recovery, they've done good. They say, man, I want you to come. I'm getting my one-year chip, and there'll be a speakers' meeting. And I'll hear a guy talk for an hour. In 59 minutes, it's him bragging all his crazy stories like he just misses it somehow. I remember when I was so drunk, I got arrested. (laughs) Glorify your past, but you don't forget your past. Because if you forget your past, you'll repeat your past. I don't ever want to forget the hurt that I caused other people. I don't ever want to forget the embarrassment I felt. I don't ever want to forget how low I was when I had to start over. Because here's the deal. I ain't afraid to do it again. But I sure don't want to. I don't ever want to experience that past. Man, how stupid tell people to forget. Like you could forget it anyway. I think my past is one of the greatest assets I have. Your past is one of the greatest assets you have. Before I met Christ, and I met Christ at a pretty young age. I gave my life to Christ when I was 20 years old. But before that, man, I was on my way to a life that I see so many people living. I got up. I went to a nine-to-five job. I came home. I lived with seven other dudes. There was eight of us in a two-bedroom townhome. It was amazingly horrible. And we would drink all night and go out all night, and they would fight all night. I'd make $1,000, and I'd spend $1,000. Empty relationships. I don't ever want to forget that. I didn't have the slightest. Matter of fact, I was almost angry towards the things of God because my family had got into church at that time after I moved out. And they were big in church, and I was like, what a bunch of fakes. My past is my, I know what it's like. I, I, I don't know that I, I, I don't, I was never addicted, but I know what it's like to dabble with drugs. I know what it's like to dabble with drinking. I know what it's like to struggle with partying. I know what it's like for your marriage to fall apart, not one time, but two times. I know what it's like to make horrible choices. I know what it's like to battle jealousy and insecurity. I know what it's like to want nothing, literally nothing to do with church and the things of God. That's who I was. I didn't give a rip about God. That's my past. (laughs) When I begin to talk about those things and begin to share my story, it's amazing the connection that happens. 
I'll, I'll never forget that, man. Again, I, I normally ask people before I share stories, but I'm getting bad about that lately, so it just is what it is. But I'll never forget the first time Uncle Randy asked me to come be on his podcast. We knew each other from Facebook, and I knew him, and he knew me, and, you know, you need to come on the podcast. How long did we go, Randy? Four plus hours? Randy talks a lot. You know why it went four plus hours? We knew nothing about We discussed nothing before we got in front of that camera. He began to share his story, and I began to share my story. And they were so similar. And connection happened. Because there's a connecting in our stories. Had there been no connection, had we not been down the same path, we'd still be friends, we'd still be acquaintances, but we would have went an hour. We'd have wrapped it up in a nice bow, and we went about our separate ways. He has people on his podcast all the time. They go about an hour. It's not because they're bad people. It's not because he's a bad host. Just sometimes there's connections in the stories allow you to connect. Your past is so vital. I don't ever want to live in my past. I'll never forget when I married Christine. Christine said, hey, let's have a talk. I said, okay. She said, we're done on stage. I said, done on stage with what? You ain't beating yourself up about what at that time it was, we had nine years, four or five, what happened four years ago. She goes, you talk about it all the time, still apologizing, still feeling guilt. You're done. And I've never talked about it in that context again. I'm not guilty about my past. I don't glorify my past. But my past, I'm also not ashamed of my past. And that upsets some people sometimes. So you ought to be, I'm not ashamed because here's the deal. I can't get in a DeLorean and go back and change it. Nothing I can do about it. Christine came to me this morning upset about something here at the building. She had a right to be upset. It's something that upsets me. But guess what? It's already done. Can't change it now. It's done. My past is done. Her past is done. The problem is some of you, you still live in your past. Your past beats you up every day. It's like rewinding your movie. The people you hurt. Here's the problem. The people you hurt don't even think about you. So all you're doing is punishing yourself. (laughs) Newsflash for you. Your ex-wife don't get up and think about you anymore. Our ex-husband. Our ex-business associate. But you allow yourself to suffer every day. So we're not talking about dwelling on our past, but we're laying a foundation with our past. Your story has to start with your past. Again, we're not shoving Jesus down someone's throat. We're not walking up to total strangers. We're allowing God to bring divine connections in our life, and as opportunities speak, we begin to share our story, and our story connects, and our story later on is going to point to God, and it's going to change people's lives. We've got to pray about that. He's got to do it. After we talk about our past, we're going to tell how we became a Christ follower. This is vital. You've got to talk about it. Paul knew when he met Christ. 
Paul knew when he met Christ. He had no doubt about when he, I'm going to share that verse here in a minute, when he met Christ. If there's not a day in your life, and I don't want to be this old school preacher that says, you got to know that you know that you know, do you know what day it was? The church I used to go to, I'm going to talk about this church a lot here in a minute. And we always laugh when I tell these stories. Man, it's the truth. They were crazy. They used to sing this song. I don't know how many of you grew up in like an old Baptist church. Lou, I don't know if y'all ever did this song. We did this song. It was, like, it was on a Monday, somebody touched. Boy, if you got saved on Monday, you jump up. Anyway, it was on a, real, real deep words. It was on a Tuesday, somebody touched. And, and I don't know what day of the week it was. But I know that I know that I know I met Christ. I made a bet with my roommate who was working at the Boys and Girls Club. They hired this girl. I said, oh, man, $25 right now. She wanted me to go to church with her. I had never been to church in like four or five years. It had been forever. We roll into this church independent, fundamental, King James only, premillennial Baptist church. And I sit on the back row. These people walk in, and they all, it's like they had assigned seats, two rows. And up on the stage were these thrones. And I like the biggest throne, the preacher sat in the biggest throne. I was like, I'm a preacher, sit on my throne. But this preacher was like a five foot three Cherokee Indian. And they had this big thing called a pulpit. And Brother Webb, was the music guy. He'd walk up there. And you had these books called hymnals if you didn't grow up in church. So you'd be like, hey, turn to page 323 today. And there'd be verses. Now, I never understood what was wrong with the third verse of every song, but you always sang the first, second, and last verse. Like, you could never sing about the third verse. I, I got to learn that the third verse was always about the Holy Spirit, and Baptists just didn't want to cover that. I don't know what it was. Like, we like, we're going to sing the first, or second, and the fourth verse. And they'd sing... And the whole time he would sing, this little Indian guy would sit with his feet in the chair like this. Well, glory! And he'd scream like, what's he doing? And they'd sing like, and like they just didn't even act like they acknowledged that he was doing it. He jumped. Now imagine Phil singing. I just get pushed myself. I say, let me tell you something. God's so good today. I tell you, God saved me. I, like the same thing. And he'd go back and sit down. And the guy just, it was weird. And then that got done, and they brought up the special singers. So they always had a special song, and it would be like a quartet of four people. And like only one person in the quartet could really sing. But they had good hearts. And they'd sing, and it was normally about heaven. I'm kind of homesick for a country. That I, or something like that, I don't know. But, man, before, right? But the whole time he'd be doing this, this man will be screaming, I'm like, this is the greatest show on earth. I'm on the back row. I'm like, pow, pow. They get done. And the way I remember it in my mind, is this man leaped from the throne 
Why don't we have a throne up here, by the way? I need one to sit in. And, and he would leap to the pulpit. Five foot three Cherokee Indian. This isn't what he did, but this is the way I remember it. Like he was cocking back a machine gun. When I tell you this old man started on the right side of the room and he preached against everything that moved. Now listen, this was 25 years ago, so late 90s. Who was big in the uh, Pearl Jam, Nirvana? That was the rock and roll music. I'll never forget. He was preaching against the temptations. Some of you are listening to the temptations still. I'm like, who is listening to the temptations? That devil's music. They'd be preaching. I'm like, this is amazing. Like, I, I, would, I was like, this is what I want to do with my life. I want to scream at people. You, listen what he said. You women look like whores in your blue jeans. And like they're not whooping his tail. Like he can just tell these women they look like whores. You men are lazy. I swear, I swear, I swear. Yeah, I remember what he said. Like I have curly hair. You don't believe in that because it's kind of short. But it wasn't really long. He's like, your hair's touching your ears. I'm like, your hair can't touch your ears. Like, what is this dude talking about? And he's, I'll never forget, he also said this. Now, listen, some of you young kids ain't going to know what this is. But he said, you won't go to the movies, but I know you're a blockbuster. I'm thinking, damn, this dude is preaching against blockbuster. And then, if I'm lying, I'm not. I guess there was a show, well, there, I know there was a Shoney's in town. And I guess they had applied for a beer license or something at the Shoney's. And he's like, Tuesday night, we're going to City Hall and we're fighting alcohol. That's what he said. If they allow Shoney's to serve beer next day, you know what? Prostitutes on Main Street. And I'm thinking, what is this dude talk? Like, I'm in love with this dude. I'm like, yeah. And then he said the words. He said, do you know that you know that you know Jesus? Because if you don't, what'd he say? You're going to fry like bacon. I was like, I do not want to fry like bacon. I, I still remember her name. He said, Miss Cow. I mean, this, dude, this, oh, so people start leaving. Like he'd been preaching like an hour and 45 minutes. They've been singing for like 30 minutes. They hungry. I'll never forget. They had, they had the, like the Britney Spears mic. They had the, the lapel mic. He said, I tested this microphone. There's one way in this parking lot. And there's one way out. I'll stand there and preach the word of God and you have to run me over. I'm like, we fixing to run people over. I'm like, this is the greatest. I'm, I'm the girl. I'm like, what is going on? And she's acting like it's normal. And men are waving hankies. And like this one guy gets up. Like I've never seen. He starts running around like laps. I'm like, what is it? What is this? Is, this is great. It's the greatest show on earth. 
He said, Miss Carol, come up here and start playing. And they played this song called Just As I Am. Anybody remember Just As I Am? Billy Graham made Just As I Am. His name was oh, Just, I don't even know how it goes, Just As I Am, something, something, something. And they played it one time. And they played it two times. And on about the tenth time, he gets back up there. Listen, there's 40 people in this room. Everyone knows I'm the only one who don't belong. Every head bowed, every eye closed. I got one eye open. So no one's supposedly looking, but they all looking. Come down. Come on. I don't like it that much. <laughs> Fifteen more verses, it felt like. Just, so finally I'm like, I'm going to take one for the team. He said, wait, stop it! Yeah, somebody comes down. I'm like, well, who's coming down? I'm thinking, man, I bet all these young people don't come down. They done paid their dues. I guess I got to go take one for the team. And I'm... I'm I bet this, I'll, I'll win that $25 if I go down. I said, I'm going down. I went down. This man jumps off the stage, <laughs> pushes me down under. So they also had a thing called a communion table. He pushes me under, like my head's up under. <laughs> He's like, this young man's come down. I don't even know what come down means. But I'm down. He said, Praise God. He said, Have you come down? I'm thinking, Well, what the hell does it look like I'm doing? I'm down here, man. Like, can we quit singing? He leaves me there, gets back on stage, reads somebody, He's got to pray it through. I don't know how to pray. Like, what are we praying through? I'm down. They sing like 10. I'm thinking, man, we're never getting out of here. I'm scared to look up. People are crying. He finally says, are you good, son? I go to the back. I go home that night. I never forget my mom's at the dinner table. What'd you do tonight? I said, I went down. She said, you went down where? At church. Went down for what? The man told me to come down. He said, what are you talking about? What's wrong with you? And my mom said, have you been smoking weed? So now I'm getting all emotional, man. I think this is probably the last time I ever had that salty discharge come I, I went down. So all I know is I went down. About this time my dad walks in Give your life to Christ? I said, what does that mean? My dad opened up the Bible. And he said, let me tell you what I used to be. And he began to share a story with me. I knew my dad's story. My dad was strung out on drugs, was addicted to cocaine, huge alcoholic. He had been clean for years. He said, man, I went down and I gave my life to Christ. I gave my life to Christ that night. So I didn't give my life to Christ going down. But because of my dad's story, him telling me how he met Christ. So my question is, if you went down, 
Like, have you met Christ? Have you put your faith in Christ? And if you have, you've got to share that story on when it was. Because that's part of the story. I used to be this. But, man, I met Christ. Boom. I met Christ while my mama sat at the table making a, at the counter making me a grilled cheese sandwich and Campbell's tomato soup. Glory to God. Hallelujah. That's good cooking. That's like, Christ, that's like Christian country cooking. Daddy over there sharing a story, mom making grilled cheese and tomato soup. I met Christ. The Bible says, I, I, the Bible says you must be born again. It's not enough to attend church. And if you could attend church and get to heaven, trust me, this one wouldn't qualify. You get to heaven and be like, I went to action. They'd be like, nope. Boom, the bottom would throw out and you'd be straight down there. Telling you, it hurts you. It ain't about how much you give. It ain't about how much you serve. It ain't if your good deeds outweigh your bad deeds. No, by the way, your good deeds will never outweigh your bad deeds. The Bible says you have to meet Christ. The Bible says, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. I didn't write the book. Let's tell you what it says. I don't know. When no one asks you your birthday and you don't know when it is, have you accepted Christ? Paul knew his journey. He was on, a, on the journey to Damascus. He was going there to track down Christians to be killed. And look what happened. Acts 9. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Sounded just like Morgan Freeman coming through the sky. Paul was on a journey. You were on a journey in life when you met Christ. And as you're sharing your story, you've got to talk about that time. It ain't got to be as elaborate as mine. You ain't got to blow out your vocal cords. Though it is fun to say, Fried I making. It's fun like to say that. I get it. You ain't got to come down. Thank God you don't want to get on this nasty floor. Man. They came up this morning, she said, we mopped and mopped and mopped. There's still some sticky plastic. I don't even want to know. I don't even want to know. You don't want to come down here. Trust me. But there has to be a little time where Christ rocks you. It's not about being baptized. You know what baptism is? Simply telling the world you decide to follow Christ. Nothing to do with salvation. It's just your way of letting the world know, man, I decide to follow Christ. Why, why are you persecuting me? And here's what I like. This is what we do, stupid stuff like this. Verse 5. Who are you, Lord? Well, it's the Lord, you idiot. You just called him by name. Who are you, Jeff? Well, I'm Jeff, you idiot. Saul knew instantly. He said, I am Jesus, who you're persecuting. God could identify him anyway. I think it's very important to check it out. He identified himself as Jesus because the ones Paul were persecuting were the ones saying Jesus was no longer dead and had risen from the grave. He wanted to know, I'm not dead, I'm Jesus, the one you're persecuting. 
Paul met Jesus on a road, on a journey. He was never the same again. Here's the deal. When you meet Christ, you'll never be the same again. That don't mean you won't mess up. Paul talked about a thorn in the flesh that he asked God to remove all the time. I got some weird theories on what that thorn in the flesh was. So weird that I won't share them. But he had some theories. He had some sin in his life. He had some issues in his life. You don't become perfect when you follow Christ. You simply become forgiven. They don't act like a Christian. Well, probably neither do you. Why? Because you got a Jesus fish on your business card? Golly. You understand that if you've not personally met Jesus, you say, how do I meet him? The Bible says, you just say, God, I put my faith in you. I believe what you did on the cross. He paid the price that we couldn't pay for our sin. The Bible says there's none righteous, no, not one, for all sin to fall short of the glory of God. Whole Romans thing there. The Bible says for the wages of sin is death. Who sins? We sin. There's a wage for our sin. It's death. Not talking about physical death, talking about spiritual death separated from God. But, I told you, the butt's in the Bible, man. I've been, Lou, I've been telling him for 20 years I was going to do a series called I Like Big Butts and I Cannot Lie. And I'm going to talk about all the butts in the Bible. Maybe I'll do that for Easter. But the gift of God, a gift something you can't buy, a gift is something you don't earn. We lie to our kids. If you're good, you get Christmas gifts. No, 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 that's not a gift. That's a wage. A gift is something we just get for someone just because. Wages of sin is it, but the gift of God is eternal life. Have you met Christ? If you haven't, today's the day. Today's the day you'll do. God, I put my trust in you. Got questions about that? Come ask me after service. But it's really not complicated. I don't, I don't, I'm not an easy prayerism guy. I don't think there's a magic prayer, but I'm an easy believism guy. Put your faith in Christ. It's that simple. Quit complicating it. When telling your story, tell how you met Christ. So we're going to talk about our past. I got to hurry. We're going to talk about how we met Christ. And then we're going to talk about how Christ changed your life. If your life hasn't been changed, chances are you ain't met Christ. It's that simple. Everything changed for Paul after that. He wasn't the same person. Acts 9 20. At once, he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus was the Son of God. At once, he began to share his story. He began to preach. He simply was sharing the story of what God had done to him. I was this. I met him. God changed my life. Man. He didn't have to think about it. He didn't say, let me go off, have some time with nature, and pray about it. He didn't say, let me think. He said it once. He began to share his story. He had a story to tell because his life had been changed. I'm not the person I used to be. That ought to actually scare you. As horrible as I am now, can you imagine what I'd be like if I didn't have Christ? 
I'll never forget, we had a couple one time, man. This story still irritates the Hades out of me. I told you, I promised Phil I'd be nice today, so Hades. You sit right there on the front row. You know, I'm going to tell a story, I'm going to tell Christian. They took us to Longhorns. Asked them about the church. Out of nowhere, they're like, think your father-in-law's a Christian? I'm thinking, why are you talking to me about my father-in-law? Well, I'm just concerned the way he acts. And I said, you should have known him before. Action Church. He might be about a five in his walk right now, but I knew him when he was a negative 15. They never came back to this church ever again, did they? I got a free ribeye out of it, so I didn't care. Like, the audacity of people. Funny thing was, I had all kinds of things that I could have said about these people and how they lived. Oh, the difference is not my place. At once, he began to preach in the synagogues. The Bible says, 2 Corinthians 5, 17, Therefore, if anyone's in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. Once you've allowed God to transform your life, others ought to know about the impact of it. That's why it's so important to start with your past. This is where I was. This is where I am. The problem with the church is, We've forgotten about the past. Preachers have forgotten about their past, and they want to come across like they've got everything together. They come across as some of the fakest people in the world. Instead of getting down and being authentic and being real and letting people know, I struggle with the same things you struggle with, but here's how Christ changed my life. We just skip over that part and they think, man, I can never live up to that. You have a story to tell. You don't need to pray about it. You know to do it. And the Bible says to him, know to do good and do it not, it is sin. So if you're not sharing your story, I think the Bible makes it very clear what it is. That's so cliche, but the only Jesus people will see sometimes is you. And I always say there's two reasons people aren't Christ followers. Number one, they've never met a Christian. Number two, they've met a Christian. We got our work cut out for us with the fakeness and the religiosity of the American church. People think they're just different down there. I just think it's biblical down there. Bunch of messed up, screwed up people united around the fact that all my life he's been faithful. All my life he's been good. Quit complicating church. Quit praying about it as a crutch. And just start sharing that awesome story you have. Let's pray.